You slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we would much rather you did that at home in a premeditated manner than in our pews accidentally during our sermons. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In Podcast. Now, we know and want to acknowledge that you will be missing out on some pretty cool stuff like intergenerational community and support and encouragement and goes both directions that you can offer and you can receive. Inspiring music and we won't be able to give you any snacks and coffee hour, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a brand new age. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or perhaps uh, taking your kids uh, trick-or-treating, maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this and whatever you happen to be doing at the time, we hope that you will receive it with an open mind and an open heart. And a quick note, we don't actually expect you to agree with everything we say, but we want you to question and to disagree and to figure out what you think. But our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, Jesus is sort of getting into this epic battle of wits with oh, yes. the religious establishment in Jerusalem. So there's a throwdown. There's a throw there's a throwdown. There's and so throwdown. Jesus has been arguing with them for his whole ministry and they usually go out to where he is and kind of pick a fight or whatever, but now he's in their territory. Ooh, he's and on their turf. The tension is rising. Okay. And and people are showing up to, to watch this. People are showing up with popcorn, I'm right? sure. I'm like sure. the Michael Jackson meme with the popcorn in the movie theater. During Thriller. But the, yes. um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, all these guys are coming at Jesus and trying to find the chink in his armor. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find his weak spot. And so this scripture is Matthew twenty two fifteen to 22. And this is what it says. It says, when the Pharisees were plotting a way to trap him into saying something damaging, they sent their disciples with a few of Herod's followers mixed in, Herod being the king, king puppet to Caesar, to ask, teacher. And then this is like the most annoying, slithering compliment. There's a little bit of slithering in here. There's a lot of slithering happening here. Teacher, we know you have integrity. Teach us the way of God accurately and are indifferent to popular opinion. And you don't pander to your students, so tell us honestly. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Mm. Jesus knew they were up to no good. So he said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. So they handed him a silver piece. This engraving, who does it look like? And whose name is on it? (laughs) They said, Caesar. Jesus replies, well, then give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. The Pharisees were speechless they went off shaking their heads. It was like round one goes to Jesus. Round one, Jesus. And then the Sadducees Mike step John. in and they talk about some other stuff. And round two goes to Jesus. And then the Pharisees come back and that'll be my next sermon. sermon. And that's round three. three. And you'll have to tune in Good to night. find out who wins. 
But I'm going to guess it's Jesus. I think it's Jesus. So this is, this is the scripture is about this. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? And the idea that they're playing on is that we are citizens of an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. Right. And the heavenly kingdom is like based on the ideals of God, right? So it's joy and justice and love and peace and all those wonderful things. And everybody has a place to belong. But the earthly kingdoms we know are not always just and fair. And the Jews have had their share of oppression Mm -hmm. from the Roman Empire. Yep. So when they're saying, do we pay taxes to Caesar? What they're asking is, are we saying that Caesar really is king? Really Mm -hmm. is king? And Caesar was also claiming to be... Well, I mean, every coin said this. Tiberius Caesar, august and divine son of Augustus, high priest. Mm. This is blasphemy to Jews. This is... This is an icon. This is an idol right. to Jews. And so to say, should we pay taxes, is saying... Are, are we going to bow? Are we going to bow to Caesar? Well, uh, Jesus sees their game and recognizes, I think, that this is a question that is very difficult to answer. So he does this in a very Socratic way, which I love. Yes. Um, I love the way Jesus answers questions. It frustrates me to no end. And I think if I was asking the question, I would be like, whatever. Annoyed. But watching him beat other people in debates is really fun. So <laughs> sort of like watching the debate episode of West Wing. You know, right. I was like, ooh, do that again. Do that again. All right. So Jesus changes the question from a political question to a theological question. And he doesn't want to clean this up for people. I don't think he wants to make it easy for us. I think he wants to hold the tension between we live in an earthly kingdom that is sometimes unjust. Right. And that's usually unjust. And we live in a heavenly kingdom that is always just and that those two are in conflict with each other. And that we should be paying attention to that tension. We should be paying attention to that tension. So he doesn't want to clean that up for us. He wants us to live in that tension mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to feel it. Right. So that we stay aware of the ways that who we're called to be as people of God are not always in line with what we're called to do as citizens of whatever country we're living in. Right. What he says is, of course, this, give Caesar what is his, give God what is his. And so the idea is if your face is on something, you own it, Mm -hmm. right? So all of these silver pieces, they belong to Caesar. Right. But we believe that humans are made in the image of God. God. And if humans are made in the image of God, then God's image is on every face and God owns everyone, including including Caesar. Caesar. And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, what he's saying is, what bears God's image? Because if you bear God's image, then everything you are should belong to God. And the coins in your pocket are just coins. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this. Caesar can stamp his pedigree on whatever he wants. But what Jesus is reminding us is that his interests in their well-being and with the cash in their pocket. Yeah. And he's comparing that to God. If every life bears God's image, then we all belong to God. But more than that, it sort of evokes this old Isaiah passage from chapter 49 of Isaiah 15 and 16 that says that God loves and cares for us like a nursing mother. Mm -hmm. Like how can a nursing mother forget her child? First of all, there's the whole love thing, right? So we assume that nursing moms are going to care about their children. But second of all, there's there's pain. There's physical pain. Mm -hmm. So nursing mothers are reminded by the pain in their bodies that they have children who need them. And so God is always reminded of us. And it says that God so loves and cares for us that our images 
are inscribed in the palm of God's hand. So it's not this relationship where like God ceases to be interested in us after we have given him the coins in our pockets, but that that we have the same relationship with God that God has with us, that we are in this together and that it's based on this loving relationship. Right, which is very different than the relationship people are experiencing from Caesar. Which is also very different from the relationship they had with old kings, with right. King David, which was much more personal and loving and caring mm-hmm, and pastoral, mm-hmm. um, that this relationship with Caesar is kind of cold-blooded. Right. Now, right. we are citizens of the United States of America. Yep. Uh, and there are lots of things that our country does that I think are out of line with the values I hold as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that they do that I think are perfectly in line. In fact, one of my challenges around July 4th every year is to try and come up with an American value that I think is also a God value. Sometimes I'm more successful with that than others. (laughs) But um, what what I usually end up doing is saying, this is what it means to us as citizens of the United States, but this is what it means to us as citizens of God. And so there are times when we are going to be collaborators with our earthly empire because we just can't pick a fight over every single thing that bugs us. And there are times when we are called to be subversives and to upend our earthly empire to make it more in line with our heavenly empire. Like that there are times when that is absolutely important. And so I don't want to clean that up any more than Jesus has. And to realize that this is not a tension that has disappeared. No. Now that we don't live in New Testament, in the the first century. But that this is a tension that continues to build and, and ease and... Um, change as as we move through this world. Yeah. I really like Rachel Maddow's book, Drift, mm-hmm. which is about how the American military life has drifted out of the consciousness of the American public for the most yep. part. Um, I love it. I've shared it with really conservative friends. I've shared it with really liberal friends. I've shared it with friends who've served in the military and friends who haven't. And we all kind of go, oh my gosh, this yes. is amazing. Yeah. Because what it tells us is not that our world is any more or less in line with God's kingdom than it ever has been, but that we have the privilege of paying less attention to it now than we ever have before. And so it's not that we are more or less in tension. It's that we pay more or less attention to it and that that is where we get into trouble. Right. That we are supposed to be cognizant of what's going on around us. So all of that to say, I am not going to give anybody a five-point list of the ways to be both an American citizen and a heavenly citizen. (laughs) I cannot do that. We all have to figure out how we do that for ourselves. And some people in my church are military folks, and some are not, and some are pacifists, and some are not. Got everything in the middle, and you know that we get to choose what our patriotism looks like to both of those kingdoms, Mm -hmm. and what we will uphold and how we will serve. Uh, But. I do know that as members of a heavenly kingdom, there are some things that we need to do and maybe need to be better about doing than we currently do. Because if the American political game can drift out of our consciousness, then the invisible heavenly one can absolutely drift out of our consciousness. And so we talked about stewardship. Okay. Our job as stewards of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And uh, Susan and I went to a training about stewardship with uh, Ken Sloan from... From the, one of the general, general boards board. in Nashville. And he walked us through his, he had, I don't know how many points he had about how to make stewardship. Seven or something. Something like that. So I, I took us through a few of those. Right. And said, okay, well, here are things as stewards of a heavenly kingdom that we need to be paying attention to. So the first one was that we as a church tend to treat stewardship as a seasonal fundraising campaign. Mm-hmm rather than as a continual commitment to our life in God. Yeah. And that that we do ourselves damage when we do that. Because 
one of the things that Jesus talked about most was money. Mm -hmm. And we tend to only talk about it when we're asking for it. Right. Because it makes people a little uncomfortable. Right. And it makes us uncomfortable. Pastors don't like standing up in the front of the church and asking for money any more than anybody else would. Right. But we also recognize that there is a theological significance to this. Yes. That that there is something powerful about responding. Well, and that, that, that how we deal with our money is an indication of where our spiritual life is. Where our values are. Where our money is, there will our heart, heart be also, also. And not the other way around. Right. That the things that you invest in often show where your heart is better than what you, say, you say about it? where your heart is. Right. So that was one thing. And one of the commitments that I made to the congregation was that we will be talking about money more. Yes. When we are not asking for it. Right. And so, you know, I think your church does a really great thing with the class that's going on right now, which is the financial stewardship. Yeah, just finished financial peace. Financial Peace University. Yeah. Which is wonderful. And, you know, he even talked about, Ken Sloan talked about his church and how many young adults from his church came into the church through some kind of a financial education course because so many particularly millennials got hit in a really weird place with with the recession recession. you know they're just getting out of college there are no jobs they've got tons of debt like what do they do how do they invest for the future how can they even think about retiring or buying a house or doing any of those things and that these conversations about so they're they're caught in the recession and and caught in a, in a, a view of what success looks like yeah, that 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 are in direct opposition and cause you to make could cause you to make decisions that are not good for your financial health or your stewardship of your time and your talents and your exactly all of that. And and then we have like you know the media loves to write about how millennials are terrible, which doesn't right. help. We do that no. to every generation. There's right. no reason for it, guys. No. There's no reason to do that. And I'm no. not just saying that because I'm a millennial. No, no, I'm because I don't fit into a lot of millennial categories. We 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 have this vision of that we can immediately have everything that the previous generation had. And it's not realistic. And it's not realistic. So to talk about money is actually a service that we provide to everyone, not just people who are already in the church, but people who are outside the church who are going, what do, how do I do this well? How do I feel like I'm not under a constant burden of, of debt, of obligation, of whatever? So, so we'll be talking about money more than we have in previous years. Um, the second thing is that churches tend to approach stewardship from a point of this is what we need the money for, but not in like a look how all the wonderful things God is doing, but that, oh my gosh, you guys, we got to keep the lights on. Right. So scarcity versus abundance. Scarcity versus abundance. Exactly. It's like, well, there's not enough for everything and we need you to make sure that you give to us because we don't have enough. Right. Versus, oh my gosh, there's so many good things happening and we want you to be able to contribute to this. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to feel like your money is invested wisely and that there is a purpose for it. One of the stats that he shared with us was in 2015, United Methodists in the United States shared over $6.3 billion, which is a lot of money. It's $12,000 a minute. Wow. So it's not that we don't have money. It's that maybe we're not talking about it in terms of this is a resource that we have, certainly not the only resource, but an important one that we have. And we get to choose to do really great things Things with it. it. And that is cool. So that's another thing. Uh, It also shifts us from an attitude of, I am obliged because I am a member of the church to Mm -hmm. give, to recognizing that we are responding out of the gratitude for the transformation that we have experienced as well. So that we are responding in gratitude to God's gifts to us rather than out of obligation because God told us to. Right. Yeah. So that's pretty good too. Uh, the fourth thing, and I was sort of laughing about this one because 
uh, the day that I preached the sermon, it was the Susan G. Komen run. Oh, yes. And they shut down all the streets around the church, which was like a point of contention with the city and the race organizers. They always tell us they're going to leave a street open. They never do. It makes it really hard for people to get to church. So there were people in the congregation who had either run in the in the race <laughs> that morning or uh, who were wearing, you know, breast cancer awareness stuff because it's October. But I said, one of the things that companies have learned is that people who want to do good in the world are really easy to manipulate <laughs> financially, mm. commercially. commercially. And so, you know, you can sell somebody a hat, but you can sell 20 hats if you make them pink and put a ribbon on it. Yeah. And then it doesn't mean that any more of that money goes to breast cancer right. awareness or research than the other hat. But they, if they make it pink and slap a ribbon on it, then we'll buy more. Yeah. And so it's really important for us to realize that there are some ways to contribute that are better than others. And instead of us looking at this as somebody's trying to take money out of my wallet, it's what purpose do I want to contribute to? Yes. And that church is an important purpose. Yeah. Church gives us purpose, helps us live into our own purpose, helps us figure out what our own purpose is. We're not going to slap a pink ribbon on anything, but we do think that instead of buying a hat, maybe you could support your congregation's ministry. And that would be important too. I'll have to say though, at annual conference, you do see that slapping a cross and flame on something will make people buy it. God, Christians will buy anything. We are idiots. (laughs) WWJD bracelets and stickers on the back of our car that tell people like, we're not of this world. How about we are of this world? How about instead of buying a $10 sticker, you buy a mosquito net for a kid in Africa? You know what I mean? Like, Jesus. Okay. Down off soapbox. Right. Well, maybe. The next part was to recognize that our gifts connect us to a global mission that we could not do on our own. Yep. So we talked about connectionalism. Mm -hmm. And I told a story about the woman from Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Who went to Liberia on a mission trip. And she was like a photojournalist for one of the United Methodist agencies. And she was going with her team and... They were building relationships with people in Liberia, and they went to church one morning. It was a small church, maybe 50 people, and 30 of them were children. And the vast majority of the children were orphans, either orphans from war or orphans from AIDS. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons they'd been there was because there was this orphanage that they were visiting that was a United Methodist orphanage. And during the worship service, the pastor named all of the people on the mission team and asked them to stand and be recognized and be thanked and you know, they kind of stuck out because they were all whiteies. And so they all stood in their seats or whatever. But he left one name off. And they said, Pastor, Pastor, you forgot our friend so-and-so. And he says, oh, no, I didn't forget. And he invited her to come to the front of the church. And all of the children came forward, too, because this was right after Hurricane Katrina had hit in uh, New Orleans and had done so much devastation. And the kids had seen the news reports about what was going on in Louisiana. And they had saved and scraped and asked for money and they handed her $20 that they had saved to help with recovery from Hurricane Katrina. For the kids in Louisiana. For the kids in Louisiana, these, these orphans in Liberia feel that connectionalism just as deeply as we do and that we all help each other. And so it's not that the United States is coming in as this great savior to fix the world, but that all United Methodists all around the world care about each other's well-being and welfare. And so I told that story in church. I said, I love this story. I hate this story. I never tell this story without crying, crying. but that it's an important story for us to hear, to recognize that connectionalism is not something that is one way. Right. And then I reminded our congregation of the times that we have benefited from connectionalism, mm-hmm. like when we've had property issues or mm-hmm. 
uh, when we were trying to get a new church start launched and we needed some help uh, financially to get it going that, or to keep it sustained. And that's something that's one of the stories in our, in our area right now too. And so there are ways that we contribute to connectionalism and there are ways that we benefit from that yeah. because we can do so much more together yeah. than we can do apart. Uh, but it requires all of us pitching in. One of the things that United Methodists have done is affect the malaria crisis. Uh, deaths from malaria used to happen every 10 seconds. And the United Methodists joined up with some international organizations in a campaign called Imagine No Malaria and worked and donated and raised millions and millions, millions of, of dollars. dollars. And now instead of a death every 10 seconds from malaria, it's a death every two minutes, which is great. But and not enough. Not enough. Like there's still more work to do. And so United well, Methodists and, and are... And what I love about that story is the idea that we got approached to be a part of that partnership, not because any of those aid agencies thought we would raise money, mm-hmm. but because we had people on the ground. We had health workers already out in the fields, already trying already trying to make a difference. Yeah. And we had the, the infrastructure to actually get help to where help needed to be. The agencies were just you know, so surprised when we said, yes, and. (laughs) Yes, and. Hey, here's some things that we can do too. And here's how we'll contribute to the work. It's amazing the things that we can do together that we couldn't do on our own as individual congregations or even as individuals. And so it's good for us. It's good for us to work together and to contribute to all of that. Uh, We talked about that church is, is not about showing off like how many people we have colonized in their minds and souls to believe exactly the way we do, but that it's a place where we are transformed and therefore can respond to the love of God, which is the other half of the coin. God wants us to know love. And part of that is knowing that we are loved. And part of that is knowing we can love others, is knowing that we can do something to love others. And giving is one of the ways that we do that. Uh, in fact, it's part of our membership vows when mm-hmm. people become members of the United Methodist Church. We ask them to support their congregation with their prayer, with showing up with their gifts, financial gifts, with their service, uh, with their time and talent, and with their witness. And so those five things are all important. Two of them are passive. Two of them are showing up and praying with us. And three of them are active. Three of them are investing in our community. And we think that that's really important because we are transformed in church and we have the ability to give people a safe place to explore their faith, to find the resources that they need to survive, Uh, And to recover when things hit them that they weren't expecting. Uh, We are that community of support. And that's why we care about investing in our church. That's why we pledge. That's why we try and take good financial care of our organizations so that we can continue to do the work. Yep. That's why transparency is important. It's why accountability is important. important. And it's also why giving is important. And so I know on a podcast, it's kind of strange because some of you are members of our churches and some are and some are just kind of randomly hopping around and finding these these sermons and so what what I want to say is and what I've told my congregation before is giving is a huge and important spiritual discipline. Yeah. And if you are not giving to my church, I don't care. I want you to give to something that you care about that makes a difference in the world. I want yep. you to do that as an act of trust in God and as a way of responding to God's love. And so whether that's the Trevor Project to help stand up for kids who are being bullied because of their gender identity or sexual orientation, or whether that's the Red Cross to respond to immediate needs in disaster areas, or or whether that's a local education initiative in your hometown. 
I'm just asking that you find a way to give because it, it matters. It changes us. And I don't know how we always will choose to balance our citizenship of these two kingdoms. But I do know that if we give some of our, our resources to our country, we give all of ourselves to God. And that in that we find a deep peace and a deep joy. So give till it feels good. <laughs> and then maybe try a little more. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to the topics, perhaps you have a story about giving and um, what that's meant in your life. Shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or find us on our website at uh, sundaymorningsleepin.com or on Facebook, Sunday Morning Sleep In. Uh, the scripture for this podcast was Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. And the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a service for the priest to deliver a blessing to the congregation. Here's the deal. We don't have any special words to give you, and we really can't make you do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> That's why in stewardship we ask. We ask that you will remember that you have been blessed, that you have resources that you might not even know about, even if you don't have money. I loved what Larry Holloway said. He said, if you don't got it, don't try. And if you do got it, don't lie. <laughs> like that you have yeah. resources, whether it's time or energy or talent or money, you have resources that you can share. You have been blessed. And so whatever you believe about stewardship in a church setting, how will you choose to live into your own skin this week? How will you love and listen and serve and seek justice? How will you deepen your own generosity? Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving. Mm-hmm.